from from the heart of our nation's capital here's family research council president tony perkins Hello, friends. Welcome to Washington Watch. So good to see you this Friday evening. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony Perkins today. I am a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement. It's what I do here, and it is also my pleasure to uh, be with you today on the program as we head into the Mother's Day weekend. We know Mother's Day is coming up. But moms are not only saving the world one dirty diaper at a time, but increasingly they are on the front lines, standing up to the cultural insanity we are facing every day. And we are so grateful to mothers who are doing so. And we'll give you another example, this time from Pennsylvania, about what moms are doing to stand up for their kids and our country. So stay tuned for that story today on the program. In addition, the governor of Tennessee has recently signed legislation to stop abortion providers from mailing chemicals that induce abortions. Now, why is that so important? We'll talk about why the abortion industry loves chemical abortions and why the pro-life, what the pro-life community will need to do in response in a post-Roe world. In addition, since a draft opinion was leaked from the Supreme Court, indicating that Roe versus Wade is about to be overturned, we've seen some passionate responses. Many responses from those claiming to be Christians not only reflect some bad thinking, but also some very bad theology. We'll take a look at some of the worst responses during our worldview conversation at the end of the program, so stay tuned for that. But first, our headlines. After vowing Tuesday that the Senate would vote next week on a bill to codify Roe, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced yesterday that he plans to set up a vote for Wednesday. Next week, the U.S. Senate is going to vote on legislation to codify a woman's right to seek an abortion into federal law. I intend to file cloture on this vital legislation Monday, which would set up a vote for Wednesday. That vote, however, faces an uphill battle in a 50-50 Senate, where the Democrats do not have the 60 votes needed to overcome an expected filibuster. In fact, they may not even have 50 votes. But Senator Schumer said he wants to put on record exactly where lawmakers stand on the abortion issue. Are Democrats desperately grasping for straws? Joining me now to talk about it and more, this and more, is U.S. Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, who represents the 2nd District of Indiana and serves as a member of the House Ways and Means Committee. Representative Walorski, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Joseph. Great to be with you. Uh, Sorry about uh, having to talk on the phone, got hung up in traffic, but you're exactly right. And, you know, this is what's going to happen. I think that, you know, Schumer can do whatever he wants to do, and Pelosi can as well. But I think the issue of life is strong. I think it's even stronger now. And I think, you know, members know what they believe. And I see nothing wrong with standing up and casting your vote. It's going to be exactly where uh, people have been. And I think this disaster in the court is just another, uh, you know, it's just another indication that people like me that are pro-life, this would be an answer to prayer if Roe v. Wade comes down this summer. But, you know, it should come through the court. Schumer can do what he wants to do. But you know what? I think as members, we're all staying focused. We're keeping our eye on the ball, and we are making sure that we stand for life. And there is so much news on this issue. Let's go back to Monday night. There was a leak out of the Supreme Court a draft opinion that appears to indicate the Supreme Court is prepared to overturn Roe versus Wade. What was your reaction when you saw that news? You know what? I was stunned, Joseph. You know, there is, you know what this means? It means that there is nothing sacred left in this country that the radical left will not go after. If, if it doesn't line up with, the, you know, their crooked thinking, then they're going to oppose it. They're over the top. They're extreme. This is not the heart of America. They, are, they, you know, are doing something that's never been done in this country before. But really, we shouldn't be surprised because they are doing just about everything they can do in this nation to get their um, radical left view across and their ex- extreme 
pro-choice agenda across, which for them is, you know, abortion paid by taxpayers anytime, no matter how it's done. And, you know, Americans just don't agree with that. They, this is just yet another huge overreach on their part. It does seem to be something of a debate over where public opinion in America is on this issue. Uh, we've seen a lot of polling in recent years uh, indicating that for the first time, a, mer- a majority of Americans describe themselves as pro-life. The Democrats on several occasions this week have said they see a supermajority of Americans who want Roe to uh, stay in place. And Chuck Schumer is betting on that when he's going to force a vote that it's very likely to lose in the Senate. But he seems to be of the opinion that anybody who votes against the codification of Roe is going to be damaged politically. Do you think that's true? Absolutely not. And, you know, I was just in a high school today, Joseph, telling young kids, young voters, when they ask me what, you know, am I pro-life or pro-choice? And I said, I'm pro-life. And I said, you know what? And I said, I am so I so believe in the protection of the vulnerable unborn in this country, you know, that it comes down to this. You know, people know how I they know what I believe and they're voting with me. If they don't believe what I do, they won't vote for me. But so be it. And I think we'll see the forces of life will win no matter what the resistance that that Schumer and Pelosi can put up. I really do believe the heartbeat of America is for life. And I don't think it can be distinguished. I think you are correct about that, and I think uh, Senator Schumer will be sorely disappointed that those who vote against the codification of of Roe uh, will, in fact, be rewarded for that vote when they get to the ballot in November. Now, Schumer is making his own plans to prepare for the potential post-Roe world. President Biden is as well. Here's what White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki had to say that Biden is doing in response to the potential reversal of Roe. Let's play clip three. He has launched a whole of government effort to look at options and pursue options from every department, whether it's the Department of Justice and what they do, the Council's Office, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Domestic Policy Council, to take put together a range of steps we can take to protect women's fundamental rights. Representative Walorski, what is President Biden going to do? Well, I think this is a disgrace on the president's part. I think that what this shows is they're on the left, and, and obviously our president is on the left as well. And he, I've never seen an insatiable desire for a culture of death in this country like what we're seeing right now. And that's why I think it's so important. He's a national disgrace to basically uh, a couple of days ago, Joseph, he said that abortion is the taking of a child. And I don't know how our president can stand in the position he is saying to this nation that killing babies and killing children is okay. It's not okay with me. It's not okay with the voters who vote for me in the 2nd District of Indiana. I think we're going to find out when it's all said and done. I think the truth will prevail. Yep. A less important, but I still think notable um, part of uh, Jen Psaki's comments there is she talked about uh, protecting women's fundamental rights. And she used the W word there again, women. And in recent weeks and months, we've uh, seen women replaced by pregnant people and birthing persons. Uh, why do you think they uh, use language so interchangeably in this way? Well, you know, I think they're all about uh, deceiving this country. They're all about sowing seeds of deception. And I think I think really what we need to do, Joseph, as Republicans, is we need to... Um, Stay focused. Stay focused on life. Stay focused on protecting women. We need to move forward and not let this distraction uh, miss one foot or one beat in the protection of life. And I think that the more they talk, the more they go into their uh, chit-chat and their chatter about whatever they want to call it. We know what the truth is. And I think for all of us listening to your program, you know, all of us that have been in this march for decades, we need to stay focused, keep moving, let them call what they want to call. They're very confused. And we need to make sure that we win. Well, it it is confusing, uh, to be sure. But I think it's notable that when they're going to talk about trans rights, it's all about birthing people. Um, When they're talking about abortion rights, it's all about women's rights. And I think we get a clue there that they're not really interested in the principle of the matter. They're just interested in the linguistic gymnastics and jujitsu that they need to employ in order to win whatever the issue of the moment is. Uh, But... 
Representative Walorski, I want to switch to a different topic because other big news this week was President Biden's disinformation board. Uh, Many are quickly pointing out the similarities with the Ministry of Truth uh, from Orwell's book, 1984. What do you think President Biden is hoping to accomplish with this disinformation board? Well, I think this is another outrage. And I think that uh, Biden and his cronies are so concerned with literally decimating our First Amendment rights. This is like having the thought police. This is like a bad B movie that we've all seen in our lifetime. And I'm just telling you, the American people have had enough. If he thinks and they think that the American people are going to allow uh, the thought police to walk in and start measuring and smothering our First Amendment rights, they got another thing coming. And I think when you look at the polling across the country, the reason we're working so hard as conservatives and Republicans is to make sure that we keep the protection in this country that our forefathers fought for. There is no way people are going to stand by and allow the thought police to start coming in and telling Americans what they can and can't say and, you know, holding them accountable for, you know, what they think is right or what they think is wrong. This is our country. This is about freedom and liberty and standing up for what's right in our Constitution. And I think people have their ears on, and I think people are absolutely ready to change this administration out because of how absolutely egregious to the left they are. This is not freedom, and this is not democracy. This is socialism and communism. I saw a shirt this week that said, Make 1984 Fiction Again, which I think represents the sentiments of a lot of people. Now, in addition to the disinformation board, uh, the head of this board, uh, many are calling the truth czar, Nina Jankowitz, has received a lot of attention herself. And here's some comments that she made last October. Let's go ahead and play those. Critical race theory has become one of those hot button issues that uh, the Republicans and and other, you know, disinformers um, who are engaged in disinformation for profit, frankly, there are plenty of, you know, media outlets that are making money off of this, too, have have seized on. Representative Walorski, uh, does does Nina Jankowitz appear to be somebody who is going to be an arbiter of truth? Um, not in the country that I know and love, but I'll tell you this. I mean, they couldn't have picked the worst demonstration of, of who they are and who they represent. And, I, you know, the optics of when you see um, this woman, you know, doing her thing in the little clips that they're playing in the news, you know, this is just another egregious overreach over the top, trying to silence Americans, trying to silence conservatives, trying to silence people that don't agree with the far left and fight in his administration. It's just another outrage. But you know what? I've come to expect anything from them, Joseph. Their behavior in the last 10 days has been so outrageous. I think Americans can't wait to get to the ballot box. And I know that you have joined with other members of Congress. We've got about 30 seconds to try to get it um defunded. Are you going to be successful in that effort? Well, you know what? We're going to do everything we can. The Democrats have a trifecta of power with the House, the Senate, and the executive branch. We're going to do everything we can because we stand up for the rights of the American people and people that are in our district. Representative Jackie Walorski, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for standing for freedom and being with us today. Thank you so much. Coming up, a school district in Pennsylvania created an entire game plan to make sure parents were unaware of what was happening with their kids at school. But now the parents have found out about it. We'll talk about what they found and what they're going to do about it when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, 
visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the Center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph, back home sitting in for Tony today. Grateful that you are spending a few minutes with us. Parents in the Unionville Chads Ford School District in Pennsylvania have uncovered documents via public record requests that show school employees thrusting gender ideology on students as young as 11 without the consent of their parents. And the parents reportedly attempted to work with the school district directly to address their concerns. But after many months of stonewalling by the district, the parents chose to make the information known to the public. And with me now to talk about what the parents uncovered is FRC's Senior Fellow for Education Studies, Meg Kilgannon, who served at the U.S. Department of Education in the Trump administration. Meg, thanks for joining me again. Thanks for having me back. Well, tell us a bit more about what's going on in Pennsylvania. What did we learn? I wish I could say it was a shocking revelation that we've never heard of such insanity before. But sadly, this is just a common tale told again and again across the country of parents discovering that their school district has standardized policies that um, affirm children to socially transition uh, based on a claim of gender identity. And um, the, the, the schools generally are unapologetic for these policies. Um, I would suspect that's why the parents are getting stonewalled by the school district and why they decided to make the decision to go public with the information to warn other parents because they're not getting a response from their school district. So it's this kind of frustration that's fueling the activism across the country, moms and dads everywhere are are engaging in the system, speaking at school board meetings, running for office, and it's because of situations just like this one. Now, Meg, I, I don't think we can describe this as anything other than a pattern at this point. Why is it that schools seem to habitually be getting in between students and their parents? What is motivating educators to think that's their right? It's it's an interesting question, Joseph. I, I think you're you're seeing um, this attitude coming from um, a lot of times from younger teachers, um, teachers who you know when when you and I went to school, the, we had other moms who were the teachers in our school system. Generally speaking, it was a great career for a family that needed additional income, and mom could still be home with the kids in the afternoon. Um, and you know that that was certainly something that was common in my childhood. But as I see the the system that 
that uh, we have in our county here. Many of the teachers are, are very young. Um, they've been educated in a very radicalized educational system. And, um, you know, they don't trust parents. That's not, they're not educated to trust parents. They are, they're told that they are, uh, you know, imparting critical information to students, which they certainly are, <laughs> should be. Um, and that sometimes this will have to be done, um, you know, behind the parents' backs or in spite of parents or re-educating children away from the values that their backwards parents may have or have instilled in children. Um, that it's a very different environment for kids today than the one that certainly I experienced growing up. And that is true for me as well. I'm a, a public high school graduate and nothing of this kind ever happened to me uh, in my experience. And I'm not that old, but I'm feeling older by the day as these stories come out. But Meg, I think I, you, you grew up in Washington State, right? right? Yes. So already a progressive environment. And right. even so still very protected at that. Right. Yeah. But Meg, you talk about the age of the teachers uh, where these classrooms, where th this stuff is happening. And I think there's an important point to make here uh, because the teachers now, those who are leading the classrooms, were raised on this idea of the most important thing is to live your truth, unquote, or live authentically. And I be they believe that to their core. And I think what that teaches them about parents is that they see parents not as a vital tool to help train and equip and discipline children to become functioning adults, but they really see parents and the home environment as a system and tool of oppression to deny young people the opportunity to live authentically. So I think it really is baked into their worldview that they see parents as hostile, not as, not as the primary caretakers, but as the ones we have to protect these children from. Do you think that's an overstatement? I don't. And I, I think, you know, the, the crisis in the family has many, many ramifications. And, and this could be one of them. If if some of these teachers are from themselves, from from families who were in crisis, then, of course, they're not going to trust parents. And you see portrayed in the media, the, the family is never portrayed as as something positive, as a, you know, you and I, I've met your wife. She's wonderful. Uh, you've met my husband. You know, when you have a happy marriage, it's truly like having a superpower, and it's a wonderful um, uh, support for the children that God blesses us with. And if if that's not the experience you've had in your life uh, as a teacher with with parents, then you probably will be hostile to to parents. So yes, and it it, it absolutely is a worldview issue. I think that's a fair point, and it's entirely possible that a lot of these children, a lot of the now teachers have come from places where they didn't have a home environment they can trust, and so they instinctively distrust those environments, and they trust their own, their own motives more than they trust parents, um, because many of them, and the other truth is, they're not parents themselves yet, so they can't relate to that relationship and that dynamic. But Meg... But it makes me all the more grateful for the Christian teachers that we right. have in the system and the and the the more traditionally minded folks that right. are that are in this environment too and they're they want to serve children and serve their community and this is the sort of situation they're struggling against. That's right. So, Meg, about a minute left. What's your advice to parents, maybe in other school districts who are encountering this? What should they be doing? Well, I would definitely encourage you to be in touch with your school board member to uh well, first and foremost, be in touch with your children if you have children in the school system, because you're going to need to correct the record with them if they have been influenced by this ideology. And then you need to be in touch with your teachers and, and um, explain to them that you would prefer that this not be taught to your children. And, and finally, um, be in, run for office. We have plenty of resources at www.frcaction.org schools. And uh, we, we hope that you'll prayerfully consider if you're called to run for office or to start a parents group, to do something to communicate uh, your values, to express them into this system that so desperately needs to hear from people with our worldview. Meg Kilgannon, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Joseph. And that is an important point. Uh, parents, we are the solution to the problem. Whatever we are being called to do, follow through on that. There is nothing more important than the minds and the souls of our children. It might be painful, but if you know there's a problem, do something to fix it. Coming up next, 
Tennessee's governor has signed legislation prohibiting chemical abortion drugs from being delivered in the mail. Why is this important? We'll talk about it when we come back. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph back home sitting in for Tony. Remind you that the website is TonyPerkins.com where you can find this in every episode of Washington Watch on demand and at your convenience. All week we've been discussing the leaked draft opinion from the Supreme Court that would overturn Roe versus Wade. But there's other news on the life issue as well that foreshadows how the debate over abortion is likely to change in a post-Roe world. Yesterday, Tennessee Governor Bill Lee signed into law House Bill 2416 called the Tennessee Abortion-Inducing Drug Risk Protocol Act. Essentially, the bill prohibits mailing of chemical abortion drugs. Here to help us understand why this law is so important is Mary Zock the director of FRC's Center for Human Dignity. Mary, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Joseph. So, Mary, why is it important? Uh, Most people haven't thought about the fact that abortion drugs would be mailed, may not understand why they would be mailed. Why does this bill matter in the larger conversation about abortion in life? Well, when we're talking about chemical abortion drugs, we're talking about the the pro-abortion movement's plan for increasing their profits and for decreasing the amount of, of what, what they would call care um, women receive. And so when we're talking about abortion drugs being put in the mail, um, this, this refers to a woman taking a, a two-pill two regimen. Um, the, the first of these pills uh, kills her, her unborn child, and, and the second um, expels the unborn child from the woman's body. So the the use of these pills is extremely dangerous and and can have life-threatening side effects for women um, who take these at later gestational ages when when the risk of retained fetal parts is higher, when the risk of hemorrhage is higher, um, the risk of an undiagnosed ectopic pregnancy that, that leaves a woman um, at risk of death or the inability to have children for the rest of her life is very high as well. So the people of Tennessee recognized, you know, a, a chemical abortion is always tragic because it takes the life of an unborn child. Um, but the abortion industry has abandoned women as well. And, and this bill is an attempt to at least protect women. 
Now, Mary, we can hear some of the evidence of your pro-life work there in the background, and we love it. Um, but we're going to let you get back to that in a second. But a couple of the questions here for you, um, because how did in, in a world where we are hoping and praying that is post-Roe very, very soon, why is chemical abortion becoming so important to the abortion industry? Well, we saw in 2016, Planned Parenthood increased the number of chemical abortions performed. We know that today that number is likely much higher. Um, and, and we know that as that increase has taken place, Planned Parenthood's profits have also increased. So we know that this is their plan for the future. Um, it's, it's cheaper for them. They don't need a brick and mortar building to, to distribute chemical abortion pills. They don't need doctors for uh, women to, to see. All they need is someone willing to prescribe and ship out these, um, these abortion pills. So Mary, is it fair to say that in a post-rural world where you have um, many states where abortion is illegal and many states where abortion is, is encouraged and subsidized and all of those things, that in the states where abortion is illegal, unless something is done, there will be, should be this mass um, industry of chemical abortions being mailed into those states where women are taking these chemical abortion drugs hundreds or thousands of miles away from the, from the provider? There certainly will. And it's worth noting that, that a state like Tennessee has complete protections for unborn children if Roe is overturned. Um, but, but there are other states, states like California and New York, who, who have committed to uh, providing abortions and places like California where they're committed to shipping out abortion pills. Mm -hmm. um, so we do need to protect against that. Now, the, these... Um, what do you think the response should be from the pro-life community, practically speaking? We see some of the legislative response here. And uh, is there any indication that other states are going to follow suit? Are there other things that the pro-life world should be doing to uh, get in front of the shift from surgical to chemical abortions? Well, you know, the, the laws like the law that was passed in Tennessee are extremely helpful. Um, working to to bring about uh, knowledge about what chemical abortions can do to a woman's body is is very helpful. This past week, the state of Oklahoma passed full protections for unborn children. Those those laws obviously also um, take care of the chemical abortion problem. Um, so any work that we can do to protect unborn children in the womb is is helpful at this point. And we are going to continue to do that. Mary Zock, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you stepping away from uh, your priorities there for a moment to be with us. So we'll let you get back to that and look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks so much, Joseph. And this issue is so important because we really do face a scenario because these chemical abortion drugs, they can cause bleeding. They can even cause death in rare situations. And, and the risk is that that bleeding, the complications would occur in girls in some cases, depending on the state, where no one knows they got the drugs because it could be a child and there's no parental notification requirements. So you could have a minor. Nobody knows they got this drug because they got it in the mail. They take it. They're hundreds or thousands of miles away from any medical providers who know that it's happening and there's nothing to do in the event of complications. It's a very important issue, uh, specifically because the abortion industry is moving this direction. So we're going to have to get in front of this as a pro-life world, chemical abortions. But coming up, uh, we're going to continue to talk about the reaction to the news that Roe might be overturned in our worldview segment. Good ideas and bad ideas. We'll talk about it when we come back. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard 
by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students, are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Grateful that you are with us. Been an exciting week in the nation's capital and around the capital and around the country as we have discussed the potential that Roe versus Wade is on the verge of being reversed after almost 50 years. And when the draft opinion in the Dobbs case was leaked, there was a lot of reaction. Many of the reactions were from people who call themselves Christians and many making theological arguments to defend their pro-abortion position. But as biblical thinkers, we know that just because someone claims to be a Christian or makes a reference to God in their comments does not mean they are thinking biblically or interested in what God actually has to say. So here to help us sort out some of the truth from the lies and the good ideas from the bad ideas during our weekly Worldview Conversation is David Clausen. He joins me in studio. He is the director of our Center for Biblical Worldview. David, good to see you. Great to be with you, Joseph. Now, there's a lot to go through here. Um, Reactions to reactions are fun. We've got a lot of reactions this week. Um, I want to start with uh, a guy named Brandon Robertson, who has an online presence and various platforms. He And his identity has carved out something of a, of a platform for himself as an LGBT activist pastor. So he wears a collar, calls himself a pastor. Yep. Uh, he, re, he believes a bunch of things that are not um, traditionally orthodox. But he made a lot of comments about this. Again, he's LGBT first, but predictably, and we might even talk about why these things go together so much, he's, he's aggressively pro-abortion as well. And here's what he had to say about uh, one of the comments. Let's play clip four, and then we'll, we'll get a reaction. God has given all human beings authority and autonomy over our own bodies. And if Roe v. Wade is struck down, this will be yet another assault on women's authority and autonomy over their own bodies. David Clausen, has God given every human being autonomy and authority over their own bodies? Well, first, Joseph, yeah, Brandon Robertson's entire take there is just so disconnected from Christian orthodoxy. 
Um, it's difficult to even call him a Christian pastor. But the question is, is an important question. Do we have autonomy over our own bodies? And at one level, yes, we, we have the ability to uh, order our lives according to our values and beliefs. But do we, and that's the, one of the reasons I was against the vaccine mandates was because I don't think that people can tell you to do certain things with your body. But do we have unlimited autonomy, the unlimited right to do whatever we want with our own bodies? No. And do we have the unlimited right to do something to someone else's body? Absolutely not, which is exactly what's taking place in an abortion. You know, Joseph, I think Carl Truman, he wrote a really important book um, about two years ago called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Mm -hmm. And I think he really gets to the worldview that really animates someone like Brandon uh, Robertson, this idea uh, that to be truly... uh, To have true personhood, uh, what that entails is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. You follow the dictates of your feelings, your emotions, your desires. And so it's disconnected from any understanding of accountability or responsibility to God. And that's very different than a Christian worldview would, would lead us. I, I agree with that, and I think the foundation that that Brandon Robertson is laying is God has given, when he says, God has given every human being autonomy and authority of their own bodies. It's like, fundamentally, we are in charge of ourselves. And I actually think Scripture says the opposite. It is no longer I who live, and it is Christ who lives in me. While the secular world says, my body, my choice— Paul says we are slaves to Christ, right? That we present our bodies a living sacrifice to yes. God in, in, our, in our physical bodies. That's not even a metaphor. And in some cases we know um, in the first century that was, very, that was very practical. That's what martyrdom is, is this idea that we die in a physical way sometimes for Christ. And so really it has to do with a starting assumption, I think, when it comes to a worldview perspective. Do we start from the perspective of, I belong to myself and I'm, auto- I'm an autonomous being, or do we start from the perspective that I belong to Christ? Now, when you start from the perspective that I belong to Christ, now he gives us a mind and he gives us a will and he, and he gives us minds for a reason to make decisions and make actions and he expects us to use those things. But the starting assumption is that I am submitted to Christ, not that I get to do whatever I want to do because I'm an autonomous being. No, I agree, and that, that, that is lived out in Brandon Robertson's comments right there, that kind of, I am the master of my fate. No one can tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. And that's the worldview that underlines the whole moral revolution, kind of what we see played out in the LGBT transgender you know, revolution. But it's also the underlying logic that we can do whatever we want, uh, and that has implications with abortion as well. Which, of course, the easy pushback is in when we're talking about abortion, we're talking about two people. We're talking about two bodies. Yes. And so the, the whole, it's kind of a house of cards that falls apart pretty quickly. And, and that's an important point to make when you're, when you're providing a response to the my body, my choice. I mean, you know, whether you are going to get a tattoo or go to the sunbed or, you know, eat lots of sugar and carbs or eat lots of, you know, vit- minerals and vitamins, there's a my body, my choice component to it. Where that falls apart logically is the fact that there's actually another body. There's another person involved. So it's actually not your body. It happens to be closely connected to you, but it's not your body. But let's do some more Brandon Robertson. Uh, let's get clip five and uh, let's get a response to that after we play this. Go ahead. If we are going to bend the moral arc of this nation towards God's vision of justice and equity, we must demand that women's rights are protected. And abortion is health care. Abortion is a fundamental right for women. David Clawson, there's a lot there. He makes reference to God's idea of justice and equity. What is that? Yeah, I think what is really important, so he talks about the moral arc of history, God's idea of justice and equity. Clearly what's taking place here is, and this is basic hermeneutics right here, what Brandon Robertson and those like him are doing is they have an idea of what they think justice or equity uh, should look like. And for them, that affirms uh, LGBT more revolution. It affirms abortion. And then superimposing that on Holy Scripture. This is what Matthew Vines did in God and the Gay Christian. He started with an understanding that, you know, 
if same-sex relationships were morally praiseworthy, therefore the Bible must affirm it. But do you see that this, what's going on there? We don't start with our own ideas of justice or equality or equity or whatever. We want to go to the Bible first and foremost and ask God, uh, what is God's idea of justice and ethics and morality? Because I think the, the Bible is not a philosophical textbook, Joseph, that we go to just to debate and have these conversations. It's God's revealed word. And so we go to it for belief and obedience. I think you make a really important point there um, about whether we whether the starting position is I have a I have an opinion about what justice is and I'm going to go find a biblical justification for that or if I'm starting from the from the heart place of I want to find out what God thinks about justice and equity and then I'm going to submit myself to that. Do you have a, what is that? What what does God say about justice and equity that may or may not apply to the conversation about abortion? Yeah, well, first of all, when we talk about what the Bible says about abortion, and you know, this is one of the, the booklets I wrote, Joseph, Biblical yes. Principles for Pro-Life Engagement. The Bible affirms the personhood of the unborn from cover to cover. So first and foremost, when we think about this issue, we need to realize that all people, born and unborn, are made in God's image. And so any kind of uh, understanding uh, that undergirds abortion, we've got to realize that's an affront to someone made in God's image. Uh, abortion is the in- ending of innocent human life. Brandon Robertson, in another uh, debate, actually, he had with Ali Beth Stuckey, went on to refer to potential human life. He made that, you know, entirely, that that phrase completely up. The Bible doesn't give us that understanding at all. What is that? It it makes no sense. You know, my sister, Joseph, uh, had a miscarriage about a year and a half ago when her and her husband came to my family in tears right before Christmas. They weren't mourning a potential human life. They were, they were mourning the death of their first baby. And uh, I think, you know, Ali Bestucki pushed Brandon Roberts on what is a potential human life. And again, there's no such thing. When we go to Scripture, we see all people are made in God's image at the moment of conception. That's what the Bible teaches. And so when we're talking about justice, we're talking about the Bible's view on personhood. Yeah. We have to start there because that's what Scripture teaches. Yeah, and I just want to land on kind of the the tactic that was employed there in that clip that we played. Referred to the arc of history, which is this real buzzword that we, you know, we want to be on the right side of history, right? And then justice and equity. And just by throwing those terms out, which are supposed to generate sympathy, we it, it inclines us to, oh, well, I like justice, I like equity, I want to be on the right side of history. And those those ideas are things that we're supposed to see as desirable and we're supposed to agree with the sentiments. And language like that and linguistic maneuvers like that can be persuasive Unless we have a framework that can say, okay, he looks like a nice guy, clearly means well, he's saying some of the right things, does that mean he's right? And the reason scripture is so important is we can go back and say, well, he said that's what God's version of justice and equity means, but do I actually know through scripture what he says about the rights of the unborn and how we treat the oppressed and how we treat the marginalized and whether we really are autonomous beings that belong to ourselves and get to do whatever we want to do? And when that's our framework, then we can look at somebody who's well-intentioned and who says things that use the right buzzwords and seems to have good goals and good objectives, and we can say, well, maybe a nice guy, but the things that he's saying are not true, and that's, that's what's the, the exercise that disciples have to be able to do because people like Brandon Robertson are persuasive to people who do not know Scripture because there's a lot of sentiment there that tugs at our heartstrings and we want to agree with, but biblically we can't. Let's get to another example of this. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, he weighs in on this issue uh, with clip seven. Let's play that and then we'll react. You stand on the side of the Constitution or you stand on the side of the cult? Uh, which wants to impose its values on the rest of us. David Clausen, are, are we part of a cult that's trying to impose our values on the rest of us? Yeah, I must be a card-carrying member of the cult that the congressman's referring to. You know, that that's absurd. You know, the, the idea that Christians, and really, and this is, let, let's be clear, Joseph, you know, as Christians, we believe uh, in the person of the unborn. We believe the Bible teaches that from cover to cover. The church has taught that for 2,000 years. Any denomination that still has any uh, respect, uh, believes in the authority of the Bible, uh, is still maintaining a pro-life conviction. But this isn't just even a Christian argument. Uh, The night that this leak at the Supreme Court happened, Joseph, I was actually, I had to live a couple blocks from the Supreme Court 
I went down there, and there was actually a lot of folks from a whole bunch. There were secular people there. There was religious people there. Sure. And at the end of the day, this is not a religious issue. It, it is. It's a theological issue. It's a biblical issue. But this is also just a basic scientific question. And so the idea that you're part of a cult because you believe in embryology, you believe in biology, you believe in science, yeah. it, it doesn't hold its weight. Well, and that's another, it's another buzzword that you're supposed to, nobody wants to be part of a cult, right? We all understand emotionally that being part of a cult is a bad thing. So when somebody says, by virtue of being a pro-lifer, you're part of a cult, we're like, well, that's not me. I don't want to be that, right? And so it's more emotional manipulation. Yes. It's, you know, it's an ad hominem attack if we're going to go with just logical fallacies. But these tactics are employed so often in public policy debates, we have to be able to see them for what they are, uh, look through those and say, and, and also just the, the, the essence of the point that there's this cult and we'll, you know, we've talked about that point, but trying to impose our values on the rest of us or trying to impose their values on the rest of us. And the fact is, and this needs to be underlined and understood and underscored, everyone in the debate over abortion is trying to impose their values on other people. Now, I own that. I am trying to impose the value that innocent children should not be murdered for the convenience of their parents. 365 days a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I own that. But it's also true that Representative Jeffries is trying to impose a different set of values on the rest of us. And both sides of the, mm -hmm. the arguments at the Supreme Court on this Dobbs case are trying to impose their values. They're just trying to impose different values. And so what he's trying to do is distract us from the real argument of, is this a person? Is this good law? And is this good? Is it moral? Right. And he wants to talk about who's trying to impose their values and who isn't trying to impose their values. Right. And, of course, we're supposed to understand that the team imposing their values are the bad people, right. even and, though we're all doing and it. And I think it's worth saying for those of those who, our listeners who are pro-life Christians, science, embryology, sound philosophy, and theology is all on the side of the you know, so-called pro-life position. And, again, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what the church has taught. Right. And so I think what, part of this technique, Joseph, is to make us seem like we're so far in the minority that no one at all believes this, when that's actually not true. There's hundreds of millions of people around the world right. that have these convictions that we do. Right. Just understand the sentiment is manipulation, and don't be taken. Okay, we're, very quickly, let's go to clip eight. This is what President Biden had to say, and then we'll react. I said, I believe I have the rights that I have, not because the government gave them to me, which you believe, but because I'm just a child of God. I exist. Now, President Biden said this in response, in, in, in opposition to the potential of Roe versus Wade being overturned first, and we have little time. Do our rights come from God? They do. And I wish President Biden truly believed that. <laughs> that. That's the United States Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. President Biden doesn't really believe that. Well, and, and, that, and that is the difference. Um, that is a difference because the secular understanding, if our rights come from God and our founders believe that, that we have inalienable rights endowed by our creator, is the right to kill your children one of those inalienable rights that our founders uh, intended to protect with the Constitution? No, it's not at all, Joseph. Not at all. The, the, the idea uh, that the Constitution has any understanding that you can kill unborn children, it's nowhere in the Constitution. And the best evidence of that is the fact that we lived for 200 years in this country yes. without abortion. And it wasn't until 1973 that magically emanating from the penumbras of the 5th and the 14th yep. Amendments that the Supreme Court discovered this magic brand new right that had been buried in the, in the Constitution that whole time. And of course, uh, that's nonsense, but that is how it happened. And so to finish this point, um, when Roe versus Wade is overturned, it's not going to be an act of judicial activism. It's going to be fixing an act yes. of judicial activism. David Clausen, we are out of time. Grateful for you. Thanks for being with us again Thanks, today. Thanks, Joseph. And friends, that is all the time we have for today. We are so glad that you have been here. Happy Mother's Day to all of you, and especially to Jane back home, who is joining us from Aberdeen, Washington today. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Love you. We will see you all next week. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 
372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 